This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. We study verse by verse through the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 19, verses 33 to 41. They brought Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews putting him forward, Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made a defense to the people. But when they perceived that he was a Jew, all with one voice, for a time of about two hours, cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had quieted the multitude, he said, You men of Ephesus, who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great goddess Artemis, and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Seeing then that these things can't be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a matter against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them press charges against one another. But if you seek anything about other matters, it will be settled in the regular assembly. For indeed we are in danger of being accused concerning today's riot. There being no cause, concerning it, we wouldn't be able to give an account of this commotion. When he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. All right, let's keep reading. They brought Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made a defense to the people. But when they perceived that he was a Jew, all with one voice for a time of about two hours cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Alexander was a Jew, but probably not a Christian. Alexander may have wanted to clear the air, put the blame on Paul's message in ministry, and distinguish themselves from these troublemaking Christians. This apostate Nazarene sect, as they may have viewed it. He would have made a defense to the people on behalf of the Jews, but when they noticed this guy is a Jew, it only riles up the crowd even more. You see, the Jews there would have also opposed Ephesian idol worship, according to the Torah, like the Christians would have. The Ephesian idol worshippers would have perhaps viewed the Jews with equal contempt as the Christians. Ever been in an arena at a sports showdown between two rival teams, with fans so invested into their team, their city, their school of pride, whatever, that they literally begin despising the other team's players? They can't stand the other team's fans? To the point things start getting like way out of control people start yelling profanities at each other, fights start breaking out, and when mob mentality takes over, almost anything can happen. When a crowd is amped up on emotion and angry, things can get pretty scary really fast. We've seen riots in recent years in America where people do stupid and senseless things, like trespassing, destroying property, looting, getting in fist fights, or even shootouts. Many of these people probably wouldn't have dared to do many of these harmful acts on their own, but when mob mentality takes a hold of people, 
watch out. When you have the numbers of a crowd, you get bold. Often, it's the pride and defense of people's idols that bring out the worst in them. They shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Artemis was their goddess of fertility. She was the face of and justification for their sinful lifestyles. They were guarding this idol because they loved everything this idol represented. They loved the sensuous lifestyles this idol's ideology promoted. What idols do we guard in our lives? And what sins do we justify in the name of our idols? If these Ephesians lived in our time and culture, what would they be chanting? Great is our sports team? Great is our wealth? Great is our entertainment? Great is our political party? What do our lifestyles, pursuits, passions, time investments, and financial investments say we esteem as great? When someone or something threatens people's idols today, don't people often react in some parallel way to these Ephesians? For example, sometimes people get so absorbed in a political movement and identity that it consumes them. They can't stand to be around someone who doesn't share their same ideology. They may even idolize a political figure to the point they would defend that individual to the death, even when their political leader's actions are reprehensible and indefensible. For those who have made Jesus their first love, they witness continually, either in word or by their actions, great is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do our words and actions say? Great is Jesus Christ or great is something else? Let's keep reading. When the town clerk had quieted the multitude, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great goddess Artemis and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Seeing then that these things can't be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a matter against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them press charges against one another. But if you seek anything about other matters, it'll be settled in the regular assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused concerning today's riot, there being no cause. Concerning it, we wouldn't be able to give an account of this commotion. When he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Rome had an iron-fisted approach towards civil disorder. The town clerk, no doubt, saw that things were rapidly getting out of hand. He needed to get the mob under control. Otherwise, Rome would probably come down hard on the city authorities in Ephesus. The clerk said, We are in danger of being accused concerning today's riot, there being no cause. Concerning it, we wouldn't be able to give an account of this commotion. A riot without justified cause would come with it a certain reprimand from Rome. Maybe like when I was a kid and mom and dad got home from a weekend trip or a date, we kids were supposed to be responsible and well-behaved. The house was supposed to be in order, the kitchen cleaned, and the dishes done. But when they would come home to siblings fighting in the house a disaster, we knew there'd be consequences, right? 
didn't matter who started the commotion, didn't matter how things came to be in disarray, mom and dad expected us to fulfill our duties and responsibilities and to get along as semi-decent human beings. So the clerk in Ephesus, having quieted the people, basically tells them, who doesn't know already Ephesus' temple keeper of Artemis in her image? He's urging them to come to their senses and do nothing rash. He asserts these men they brought to the theater had neither robbed the temple nor blasphemed their goddess. Furthermore, if there are issues, he's basically saying, this isn't the way to handle it. God used this clerk, this authority figure in the city government, to restore order and protect these Christians against the aggressions of those rioters. Once again, I think Paul's overall positive view of governmental authorities, as reflected in his inspired writings in Romans 13, may have at least in part been developed by his personal experience time and time again, seeing the Roman authorities act as a sort of buffer and protection before Christians against Jewish and Gentile opposing mobs. The clerk calls out Demetrius, who incited the riot, telling him and the other craftsmen there is a legal process for dealing with such grievances. They need to be resolved in the courts before the proconsuls. He's telling them they can press charges. Demetrius probably knew well there were courts and legal ways to combat what he viewed as a threat to his livelihood. The problem was, he was likely well aware that if he pressed charges, they wouldn't hold any weight in the courts. From a legal standpoint, these Christians were justified. As the clerk already pointed out, they hadn't robbed temples or blasphemed. They were merely sharing their faith. Are there ever times we circumvent the prescribed protocol for handling an issue like Demetrius did? Do we ever try to push an agenda or campaign through the back door, so to speak, by force or in unconventional methods because we're so determined to try and manipulate the results in our favor. Like at work, if there's an issue, instead of first trying to appeal directly to our boss for communication and resolution, do we instead, for example, deceptively rile up the other employees around the issue to take our side behind his back and then try to force the boss's hand with leverage? Or today in America, for example, laws are supposed to come about through a legislative process. However, when leaders don't feel they have the backing to get an agenda through by conventional means, often they'll try and find another way to squeeze it through, like by executive order or a decree, as if they are a sovereign king. Often such orders end up getting overturned by the courts because they're unconstitutional to begin with. At any rate, the clerk calls out Demetrius for wrongfully inciting a riot that put them all in jeopardy of reprimand from Rome. After he calmed the mob and set his part, the crowds were dismissed. Don't you think that I 
can see you struggling Don't you think that I can feel your pain I hear your cries every time In the middle of the night You're calling out my name Can't you feel my arms wrapped around you Holding you close so you can't feel the cold I know it's hard to feel my presence Sometimes in this world Oh, but ask yourself Whose face did you think that I was looking into When I was hanging on And right before my eyes As I paid your cost And I looked into your eyes And told you of my love For you to live I would die for you Beatings. I never had to question why I just thought of you And my love overflowed And my pain passed on by So come to me with your burdens Lay them right here on my shoulders
was I Would Die For You from the Adams Road album, Son of Man. No matter how many works you do You may still have Jesus say that he never knew you To enter the kingdom of our Lord We must do the will of the Father But what must we do to do the will of God? It's so simple You must believe in His one and only Son Because then you'll be born again And have God living and working good Works through you, through you. And there remains a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest. For God's people, we've trusted in the work of Jesus. After we have rested from our works God works in us for His good pleasure But what must we do to do the works of God? It's so simple You must believe in His one and only Son Because then you'll be born again And have God living and working Be born again and have God live. 
That was It's So Simple from the Adams Road album It's So Simple. This is the Adams Road podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry, Adams Road. You can learn more about us at adamsroadministry.com. Again, that's adamsroadministry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Join us next episode as we begin examining Acts chapter 20. Grace and peace be with you all.